Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. In case you haven't heard it, <coughs> it's Mother's Day. <laughs> and I have a super exciting message for Mother's Day today. Today we'll be talking about suffering. So would you open your Bibles with me to chapter 8 of the book of Romans? Uh, we're going to read verses 18 through 25. And so uh, let's read. This is what it says. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for the fact that we get to honor moms. But Father, thank you that we have a wonderful Father that is kind and merciful. Thank you, Lord, because we see from Scripture that you know of our suffering and you are not unaware of what we go through, Lord. And so today I pray, Lord, would you, through your Scripture, speak to our hearts? Would you, Lord, um, take the next few minutes, Father, and just use your word, Holy Spirit, to work in our hearts, to remind us that you see us, but to remind us that you are not unaware of what we're going through. But also, Lord, I pray that you would pierce, Lord, the darkness around us with the light of the gospel so that in hope, Lord, we would fix our eyes on the things that are to come and be encouraged. And through this hope, Father, may we persevere until the day where we see your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, let me start this morning just by sharing just a little story of, of a family I know. Back in 2011, I was working as an associate pastor at a church in Guatemala City. That, that's where I'm from, in case you were wondering where this uh, interesting accent is. Chris, I didn't use the word sexy, so you're welcome. Uh, while I was working at that church, I had the privilege of meeting one of those families whose very life is a picture of the gospel. You know those people? You know those people that, that smell like Jesus? This was one of those families. This is the Durham family. Pat and Barbara Durham came to Guatemala in 2011. And the reason they came to Guatemala was because they were adopting a son. His name is Pablo. And here you see little Pablo back in 2011. Now what makes this story a little different than any other story is because honestly at the time it wasn't very uncommon to see American families come to Guatemala to adopt. What made this different was the fact that they already had six children of their own. They had six kids, and yet they, the Lord put in their hearts to adopt Pablo. But on top of that, during the adoption process, they had some problems with their paperwork. And what happened was that the U.S. government told them, listen, because of this paperwork issues, we, you can't come with Pablo to the U.S. for the next two years. So two years from now, you can apply again, and maybe then he can come. And so they found themselves with three options. Number one, 
they could abandon the adoption, and Pablo could remain in the, in the orphanage where he, where he grew up. Number two, they could send Pablo to boarding school for two years to a new place with people he didn't know. Or, number three, they could uproot their lives from Georgia, their lives, the lives of their six children. They could leave their jobs, they could leave their church, they could leave their schools, and everything that they loved, and they could move to Guatemala and be the family that Pablo needed for those two years. And because they are this kind of person, (laughs) the Durham decided then in faith to move to Guatemala and become missionaries. They moved with their kids, six children, for various ages. They uprooted their lives, like I said. They left jobs, they left the church, they left the school, they left the home. They left everything for the sake of Pablo, for adopting him into his family. So you see, the Durham's left the place of comfort, and they came to a place that they didn't know, a place that quite honestly wasn't comfortable, a place that was dangerous, and a place they didn't even speak the language. And this was a whole new experience. But they did it to go and take care of Pablo. So for the next two years, you see, Pablo found himself in this really interesting place. He became a Durham. He was adopted into a loving family, and with that he was given a father and a mother that loved them. He was given siblings, brothers and sisters that absolutely loved them. He became one of them. And yet, for the next two years, he still found himself in the same place, in the same broken place where he had grown up. And for the next two years, he awaited patiently the day until the U.S. government told him it was okay for him to come to his new home. And so that's what they did. And for two years, we had the joy of having the Durham family in our church. And we saw them love and take care, not only of Pablo, but of every single one of their kids. And to tell you the truth, when I was reading this passage, as I was prepping, from the first time I read this verse, the first thing that came to my mind was just the story of Pablo. I think you can see where I'm going with this. Because so far, in the book of Romans, we've seen and we've heard of the benefits that we get as children of God. In verses, in chapters, I mean, one through four, we talked about the justification that we found in Christ. When Christ died on the cross for us, he justified us. He made us right with God. In chapters five through eight, we talked about the gift of sanctification. And the fact that God, our Father Almighty, who is righteous and holy, is making us righteous, is making us like himself. Today, we see a third benefit of the life of the believer, and that is the gift of glorification that we have to look forward to. That is the gift of glorification that is to come in the future. And in today's passage, we see Paul wrestling with the paradox we find ourselves in, the paradox of what we call the already not yet, or Fleming Rutledge calls it the in-between. And it's this season where we have been adopted into the family of God, but we are still awaiting for our home to come. We are awaiting for the completion of the life to come. Just as Pablo, we find ourselves adopted into the family of God. We find ourselves loved by him, but we're still waiting to go home. We're still waiting to what is to come, to the completion of our adoption. With our adoption into the family of God, we have many benefits that we are already presently enjoying. And yet, we still find ourselves longing for what is to come because we are in a broken world that is groaning to be made new. And this paradox 
that I'm talking about, the paradox of the already not yet, we find yet another paradox that seems to be a pattern in Scripture. And it's the fact that God will sometimes use suffering to bring about His glory. This is what I like to call the suffering glory paradox. For some reason, it is clear and obvious from Scripture that God chooses to use suffering to bring about good, to bring about glory. And you know what I love about Scripture? You know what I love about the gospel? Is that it looks reality in the eye. It tells us, yes, you still live in a broken world. You still live a life that is surrounded by pain and doesn't shy away from telling us that yes, we do live in a broken place, and yet the gospel tells us that this is not final, that this broken world we're in, you know that world where we have to worry about Chinese rockets like plunging into our neighborhood? (laughs) The gospel tells us this is not final. One day, all this suffering that we're going through, all this suffering that we're all well acquainted with will be but a distant memory. It will be like a bad dream that we woke up from. And it will pale in comparison to the things that are to come. So this morning, let's look at the hope that Paul will point us to as he encourages us believers as we persevere through difficulty. So let's read verses. We're going to go back, and I'm going to read two verses from uh, Chris's passage from last week that I think are relevant to today's message. So would you read with me verses 16, 17, and 18? And as we read those, I want you to notice that Paul is telling us that suffering is real. And not only is it real, but suffering is to be expected. Let's read verses 16 through 18. It says this. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Isn't that amazing? We are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with them in order that we may also be glorified. Now, this is usually the, the, the passage a lot of people like to skip. That part that says, provided we suffer with them in order that we may be uh, glorified. But then verse 18 says this, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Church, Paul is telling us not to be surprised by suffering. Suffering should not be surprising in the life of the Christian You know, we're still talking about, you remember earlier in chapter 8, it talks about the life in the Spirit. This is still talking about life in the Spirit. And Paul is telling us that even in the life of the Spirit, suffering should be expected. He says, we suffer with Christ in order that we may also be glorified with Him. You will rarely see this verse as an Instagram quote, right? You will rarely see this in a t-shirt. But notice that Paul doesn't shy away from telling us that we all already know. That is true. Suffering is here. Suffering is all around us. Suffering is real. Not only real, but it is to be expected. Suffering in the life of a Christian, let me put it this way, and it's not only a possibility, it is a certainty in the walk of the Christian. According to Paul in Philippians 1.29, he tells us that suffering is actually a gift from God to us. You don't believe me? Let's read it together. Philippians 1.29 says this. It says, For unto you is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, 
but also to suffer for his sake. Do you see this? Paul is telling us that just as the gift that we were given to believe in Christ, we were given a second gift, and that is to suffer for his sake. Suffering is real, and suffering is to be expected. But you know what? I find it a tragedy that so many Christians refuse to talk about the reality of suffering. Christians sometimes refuse to look suffering in the eye. In our desire sometimes to point people to the hope that we do have in heaven, we often talk past suffering as if there was nothing good to be seen in the middle of suffering. We are too quick sometimes to point those who are suffering to what is to come, and that's a good thing. But we often forget to point them to what is already true in the midst of their suffering, and that is that God is with them, and that God is working in them and through them. We forget that even in the middle of our suffering, God is at work in us. Church, Paul is telling us here that we suffer with Christ in order that we may also be glorified, which means that our our suffering, our pain, it's not purposeless. It's not random. It's not purposeless. In and through our suffering, God is working in us, and he is preparing us for the glory that is to come. And we'll talk about this in more detail in a few minutes, but for the moment, I don't want you to miss this. God is working in you in the midst of your suffering. Paul is telling us, once again, that suffering is real, not out there in the world where there's a pandemic. Suffering is real here. For the life of the Christian, suffering is a very present reality. On top of that, we will see in a minute that not only suffering is real and a present reality, but we will see that God is sovereign over our pain and our suffering. Ligon Duncan puts it this way. He says God is in control and suffering is actually part of his plan for his people. Did you catch that? Suffering is often part of the plan of God for his people. And we'll see next week that it is with a good purpose. <laughs> let, me tell, let me hear you, let me, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear me say this. God is not surprised by your suffering. God is not surprised by the tragedy that you're walking through today. He's never surprised by the suffering of his children. So if you're suffering today, I want you to hear this. Your suffering is real. And your suffering is not foreign to God. God is not indifferent to your pain today. He is well aware of it, and he is with you. Whether you see it or not, he is with you even in the midst of your suffering. You know what we do sometimes, though? We like to compare our suffering with what others are going through, which I find unhelpful. Isn't that true that we sometimes like to look at our suffering and we we feel that we're inconveniencing God by bringing it before him because it's not as big a deal as what my neighbor is going through. But that's unhelpful. Because ultimately, compared to the glory that is to come, all suffering is insignificant. And so don't shy away from bringing your suffering before the Lord. God is not like the parent that dismisses the pain of the 15-year-old that was not by, a, you know, by, by their crush. Isn't that true? We do that sometimes. 
Whenever we hear young people, you know, suffering heartache because of some love interest that didn't work out, we just like, come on, you'll, you'll be okay. One day you wouldn't even forget this. You wouldn't even remember this. That, God doesn't do that to us. He doesn't. Suffering is real, no matter how big or how small. And God is not indifferent to your pain. So let's make sure we are not indifferent to the pain of others. Now this morning, I think it would be helpful for us to look at three truths that are, uh, that are real, or three truths about suffering in the life of the believer. I want us to hear three things that I believe are helpful for us as we talk about suffering. Number one, as a child of God, your suffering is not punitive, which means God is not punishing you through your suffering. And I need you to hear that. God does not operate that way. If you are in Christ, Jesus already bore your pain at the cross. There is no measure of pain that you're walking through today that is punitive. It is not a punishment. It is true, though, that as the loving father that he is, he will definitely sometimes discipline his children. God will sometimes discipline his children, and that is true. But unlike punishment, which usually comes from wrath, his discipline comes from love. And unlike an, un, and unlike an earthly father, God's discipline never goes too far. God's discipline never gets out of hand. God is not punishing you. Would you please hear that this morning? If you are in Christ, there is a second truth here. As a child of God, your pain is not purposeless. As much as the pain that you may be walking through today makes no sense to you, as much as your pain that you're walking through today messes with your plans, your pain is not purposeless. Next week, we will see, and Shane will talk about the fact that, that all things work together for the good of those that love God. Church, when God cuts you, it's not with a sword to hurt you, but with a scalpel to work in you and to heal you and to bring restoration. Your pain is not purposeless. And the third truth about our pain is that as a child of God, your pain is temporary. In a moment, we will see how, through, how though Paul tells us our pain is very real, it is also temporary. Pain does not have the last word. But in order to see that, let's keep reading. Actually, I'm going to read again verse 18. I want you to see that though suffering is real, it is also temporary. Verse 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Church, this pain that we're going through, the suffering that you may be going through, no matter how big it is, it is also temporary, and it has an expiration date. 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, he says this to us. He tells us, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Church, when Paul tells you that your suffering is a light momentary affliction, he is not minimizing your pain. On the contrary, Paul is well acquainted with pain, having suffered um, greatly for the sake of the gospel. He was persecuted, he was beat up, he was stoned. 
Paul knows suffering. Paul even had the, the thorn in his flesh. And yet, he tells us that even this affliction that seems so overwhelming at the time, that seems so purposeless, that seems so inconvenient, this affliction is momentary and light in comparison to the glory that is to come. Here's the thing, though. We often read passages like this one, and immediately we think of the hope that we have in heaven in very materialistic uh, terms. Right? And so often when we think of heaven... um, we start thinking about riches. We start thinking about streets of gold. We start thinking about whether we will fly or not when we're in heaven. And those are materialistic things that aren't helpful in our moment of suffering. If we're not careful, we might think that Paul is promising that God will blow our minds when we get to heaven because of the things that we will see when we're in heaven or because of the things that we will get when we're in heaven. But that's not what Paul is telling us here. The, po- the hope that Paul is pointing us to is not something we will witness from afar. The hope that Paul is pointing us to is not something we will see or we will get. The glory that Paul is pointing us to is the glory that God will reveal in and through us. Do you see that, church? When Christ come back, comes back, there is a glory that will be revealed to you. It is a glory that will be revealed in you. And this glory will cause all your suffering and all the pain to pale in comparison. Today's Mother's Day. And some of you ladies sitting here have had the privilege of having children. Some of you, more than one. Why? Why have you had more than one kid? I mean, from what I hear, I'm not talking from experience here. I was like probably eating a sandwich when my wife was giving birth. Uh, I wasn't. I was very hungry, though. Um, And it, it, yeah. Anyways, well, from what I hear, giving birth is is an excruciating pain. As a matter of fact, it's the point of reference, right? Like, whenever they they think about how something is painful, they say, well, it's nothing compared to, you know, childbirth. Now, I can experience that. I can't vouch for that, but some of you can. Here's the crazy thing. Some of you will go through that and then do it again. A lot. (laughs) Why? Because from what I hear, the second that you hold your child in your arms, that pain that you just went through seems to vanish. It seems to become just a bad memory. And it is worth it. Not because it wasn't painful. Not because it wasn't hard to go through, but the joy that comes from it makes it seem like nothing. In the same way, the pain that we're going through today, the suffering that you may be experiencing today, will one day pale in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in us. How about we keep reading the passage? Let's read verses 19 through 22. And as we do that, I want you to see this, that suffering exists mainly because we live in a fallen world. Verse 19 says this. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility or frustration, depending on your uh, translation. 
not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Church, we live in a broken world. And there is no denying that. In case you needed a reminder, there is a pandemic going around. There's a global pandemic going on. Depression and anxiety have skyrocketed. Even if we live in, a relative, in, in an era of, peace, of relative peace, did you know that the last hundred years are the most peaceful years in history? And yet, there are nearly 80 million forcibly removed or displaced people around the world. Morality is nearly extinct. Politics have become a religion that breaks homes and families and churches. And every area of our life has been tainted by sin, by death, and by decay. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> and yet, as Christians, Paul tells us we shouldn't be surprised. Paul says in verse 20 that after the fall of man, as part of the curse, God subjected creation to futility and to corruption. Our world is broken. Unfortunately for some, this world is the closest they will ever be to heaven. I heard this from Shane once, and I think it comes from D.L. Moody. But for those who are in Christ, this world is the closest we will ever be to hell. In this broken world, there are all types of suffering. Looking around the room, I am aware that for many of us, this suffering I'm talking about is not theoretical. I am well aware of some of the suffering that we could talk about even going in, in this room. I am well aware that today, Mother's Day, a day that the world celebrates, can be a cause of pain for some of you, of deep, deep pain. Church, the world is full of pain, that even when there should be laughs, sometimes there's tears. You know, the world is, is full of pain, and there's many different types of pain. There's pain or suffering that comes due to persecution. You know, the Bible tells us that because we are in Christ, we will be hated by the world. Jesus himself warned us that if we followed him, we, the world would hate us. John later tells us not to be surprised when the world hates us. And though here in the United States, we live in relative peace of persecution, there are some around the world whose lives are threatened day after day just because they profess Christ. But that's not the only kind of pain or suffering. There's suffering due to the broken world around us. Creation was subjected to futility or frustration. It was subjected to death. It was subjected to decay. Sin entered the world and it tainted every aspect of creation. Creation, like I said, is broken. There are natural disasters, there are freak accidents, there's illness and corruption, and all these things are results of this broken world. And all these things bring about suffering. Suffering, though, which I think this, this one's even harder to deal with, suffering can also be due to the sin of others. Another type of suffering comes as a result of people's sin against us. Abuse, Adultery, physical harm, emotional harm, 
These are all results of people inflicting their sin against us. People aiming their sin against us. And it's hard to understand. And yet, you know what the Bible tells us? That even this type of suffering, God can turn for the good of those that love him. And I want you to hear that. Because I think this is the one that is the hardest to understand sometimes. How can God turn for good something that someone intentionally did against me? But we see in Genesis 50, the story of Joseph, the the conclusion of the story of Joseph. If you remember the story of Joseph, his siblings mocked him, then tried to kill him, and then they decided to make money out of it, so they sold him into slavery instead. And years later, decades later, they're kneeling in front of him, and he graciously forgives them. And he tells them these words. He says, that's for you, as they're kneeling in front of him. He says, that's for you. You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many should be kept alive as they are today. Church, God can even turn those that, you know, the sin of those around you, and he can turn it for good. And I know of many of you who are suffering today because of sin that was inflicted on you. And would you hear me say this? God can turn it for his good. God was not surprised by it. His hands weren't tied. And he's still good. And he will use it for the good of you and for his glory. Even this type of suffering isn't purposeless. And then we have sin due to our own sin. Sin carries consequences. And when we sin, we will find ourselves suffering and frustrated. This is the type of frustration that we saw from Paul in chapter 7 that Aaron talked about a few weeks back. There is a type of frustration and pain that we experience when we battle sin. We all know the frustration of knowing how we should live and yet often failing to live up to it. Can you imagine, though, the day when that finally ends? Because it's coming. Despite all this sin, brokenness, and suffering, Paul tells us that creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. The language he uses here is very intentional. Not because it's Mother's Day. It's very intentional. All this pain and suffering is actually going somewhere. The pain and suffering is not ultimate. It is leading to something greater. Creation is awaiting to obtain freedom the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The word groaning here is a figure of speech, meaning travailing, travailing with expectation of what is to come. The ESV Expository Commentary defines it as a collective lamentation. Whenever we hear the word groaning here, um, we think of how we groan, right? And we usually groan in response to pain or to despair. The way Paul describes creation groaning here is not a response to despair, but it is a mixture of lament for what has already happened and a deep longing for what is to come, the glory revealed in us. And what is to come is a restoration of this broken world and a restoration of us broken people who have been redeemed by grace. Now, creation is not groaning alone. 
Paul is about to tell us how we as Christians groan inwardly as well. So would you read with me the last three verses, verses 23 to 25. And as we read these verses, I want you to see how it is fuel, I mean, it is hope that fuels us as we persevere through suffering. Verse 23 says this, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul tells us that we ourselves also grown inwardly. As Christians, we live in the tension of how things are and how things should be. We live in the tension of the present reality around us and in us and the promises of redemption that we see over and over and over in Scripture. This is what Paul means when he says that we eagerly await for adoptions as sons. Remember Pablo from my story at the beginning of the, of the service? We find ourselves like Pablo during those two years of waiting, Pablo found himself surrounded by the same land where he grew up, but he was awaiting for the home to come. Church, we are already children of God, and as such, we are heirs. And as heirs, we have benefits that we are already reaping, and yet we find ourselves waiting. We find ourselves waiting eagerly and that is what we call hope now before we close this morning i want to remind you of three truths about hope about christian hope number one christian hope isn't wishful thinking you know when you think of i hope my tim wins that that's not hope christian hope um, is not wishful thinking it awaits for that which is sure which for that which will definitely happen and in verse 23, Paul tells us that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. You know, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today is but a sample of the work that he, will be, that he will complete in us in the future. Let me say that again. The work of the Holy Spirit in your life today is only a sample of what the Spirit will accomplish to you, in you at the day of glory. One day, he who started the good work in you will bring it to completion. Number two, Christian hope doesn't wait passively. It awaits actively. Verse 25, Paul tells us that we wait for this redemption with patience. Now, there are other translations like the NASB that says it this way. The NASB says that we, that we uh, with perseverance, we await eagerly for it. As Christians, we don't passively wait for the glory to come. We wait eagerly for it. This, is, uh, this patient that Paul's talking about here is active and eager perseverance. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever been to a famous place that you've always wanted to be at, that you always wanted to see, and then you get there and it's covered with scaffolding? Yeah? It's happened to me in a couple of plays, actually. It happened to me with the Big Ben, showed up to the Big Ben, scaffolding. We, it happened to me twice in the Cathedral of Notre Dame. I went there twice. The first time I got there, I was 14 years old. I show up, and there's scaffolding in front of it because of maintenance. 
couple years ago, I go there again, and there's scaffolding because it burnt down. So now I only know that Notre Dame is beautiful because of pictures that I've seen. I've never seen it and thought, oh, that's beautiful, because it's all scaffolding. But you know what? The life of the Christian sometimes feels that way, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I sometimes look at my life, and all I see is scaffolding. We look at ourselves in the mirror, and we just, all, all we see sometimes is just ugly scaffolding. We see ourselves and we'll always find us undergoing renovation. You know why? That's true. We are incomplete works. We're sort of like the I-4, <laughs> right? We're never completed, always undergoing renovation. But you know what Paul is telling us here? That one day, the scaffolding will be removed, and the glory of Christ will be revealed in us. Not around us, not in front of us, as the nodding's at a theater, but the glory of God will re- be revealed in us. Which leads me to the third truth about hope. Now, i got to admit, this truth is not in, this, in these verses, but I believe it's consistent with the rest of Scripture. But let me say this. Christian hope grows and increases as we share it with others. Christian hope needs to be shared. Christian hope is not something that, that we hoard. It's something that we share with others. I like the way Jake Meter puts it in his book, In Search of the Common Good. He says this. He says, it is the rightful work of God's people to smuggle rest and hope and joy into places that know nothing of it. Church, as believers, it is our joy and our privilege to share this hope. It is our work to smuggle this hope into the spaces where there's no hope. And as we share this hope, this hope will grow in us and it will multiply in us. Which is why we always point you guys to community groups. Because that is where we share hope and that's where hope is shared with us and it multiplies. And then, yeah, it, it, it overflows. So let me ask you this question. If you're suffering today, is it possible that the Lord is allowing you to go through this so that you can smuggle hope into someone's life? Is it possible that as you suffer, you might be modeling how to suffer well and smuggling hope inadvertently to those around you? Maybe let me ask you. Some of you may be thinking, Christian, I'm actually not suffering. Well, let me ask you this morning, how can you then smuggle some of this Christian hope into the spaces you inhabit where there's people without hope? How can you share this hope? How can you smuggle it to every area of your life, to those that are suffering around you? Because church, the world around us is suffering. It is decaying. It is broken. And it is in deep hunger of hope. Church, this hope that Paul talks about is exactly why we gathered this morning. This hope that Paul is talking about, that's, this is why we sing. This is why we preach the word of God. This hope that we talked about this morning is not something that is secondary in our faith. This hope that we're talking about, the glory of the children of God, is not something that might happen. 
It is a sure truth. The hope that we're talking about is foundational to our faith and to everything that we do here. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that if there is no resurrection, if there is no hope of glory, we are to be pitied. Church, we live in a cruel and broken world. A place where, as a young man recently told me, a very wise young man, he told me this, he told me, you know, at times in this world, you only get glimpses of the beauty of the glory to come. And it is those glimpses that carry us through. Church, it is my prayer this morning that the Lord in His grace may pierce through the clouds of darkness, that He may pierce through the fog of your suffering and shine the light of His hope, of the hope that we have in Him, that even as we suffer, He is working in us, He is working through us, that our pain is not purposeless, and that our pain is temporary no matter how long you've been in it. It is my hope, church, that this morning the Holy Spirit would work in your heart and that he may help you behold his beauty and taste his goodness even in the midst of your hope. In the midst of your suffering, I'm sorry. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would fill you this morning with assurance that the great and precious promises that we have in Scripture will be fulfilled in their time. So church, would you stand this morning? Would you take a moment to respond to the Lord in song by declaring with us the truth that no matter what is going on around us, Christ will hold us fast.